every now and then the topic comes up or someone might ask the question, what's my favorite recording studio? What, what studio stands out to me the most? Now, I'm not going to lie. I did have the privilege of, I've taught at Abbey Road a couple times, uh, both in Paris and London. And when you walk into Abbey Road Studio B and you're, there, you're standing there where the Beatles uh, recorded, you're touching uh, John Lennon's piano, it's pretty spectacular. And so with that said, I almost feel funny about saying that my favorite studio is not Abbey Road. It's actually, uh, it's, it's a little ways away from Abbey Road. I had never even heard of this studio prior to probably 2015, something like that. And we decided we were going to do a couple events in Germany, in East Germany, in Berlin. I started doing just a little bit of research and I stumbled across the most amazing recording studio, my personal favorite studio that I'm aware of on the planet. And it's a studio called Funk House. This is In the Studio, the podcast. From time to time, I'll, I'll get the question, Brad, what's your favorite recording studio? And I'm not going to lie. I've been in some pretty amazing places, um, whether it's Hit Factory in New York or Abbey Road in London. I have so many memories at Westlake in Los Angeles. And in their own way, uh, they're all just <laughs> amazing places. Even Michael Jackson's home studio up on Havenhurst. There's just there's so many memories and thing, cool things that happened in those places. And I guess it's kind of ironic, but my favorite studio is a studio that I never really worked in, which <laughs> I guess just makes it strange. But in 20, 2015, I had never even heard of this recording studio. Maybe somewhere, you know, maybe it crossed maybe I heard something about it, but it didn't really sink in. And in 2015, we started planning out our seminar events in 2016. And we wanted to go to Berlin, Germany. And I did a, a little bit of research in Berlin. I, I like to work with schools, um, recording schools. And I stumbled on this studio. It's a place called Funk House. And if you're, if you're not of German descent, I'm even going to spell it for you. It's F-U-N-K-H-A-U-S, uh, which is the, uh, the cool German GDR spelling, Funkhaus Studios. So today's episode, it's going to be a little bit of a history lesson, a little bit of me geeking out just a little bit. I, I want to tell you about this place. So first, the history lesson. I'm admittedly a little bit of a, a geek when it comes to Soviet history. And I have friends uh, in Russia that, you know, have, were, were there when the wall came down, uh, Perestroika, when, you know, they talked about the window opening. And uh, they knew there was a world outside of this 
frosted window that they couldn't see through. And when uh, when communist Russia fell, um, the window opened and the air came in and they were able to uh, to be part of, of of the Western world, at least far more than they had been to that point. But I, I love learning about Soviet history. And I've had the, the privilege of being in, in Moscow and visiting um, an apartment, you know, one of the old uh, Soviet block buildings. And, uh, and that stuff just fascinates me. I, I think the uh, propaganda side of it, the, the whole Soviet thing where they were kind of, you know, competing with Western society, even though they really weren't letting their their citizens experience both to, to give them a fair comparison. But nonetheless, I, I just, I, I dig Soviet history. I think it's, I think it's cool. I am not an expert. I'm not trying to come across as a history teacher. If somebody hears this and they say, Sunberg, you're crazy. That didn't happen in 1953. It happened, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, I did do some research on this, but it's, I'm, I'm coming at it more from a personal perspective rather than um, an instructional tone. In 1951, an architect builder by the name of Franz Ehrlich, good German, was commissioned to build a recording complex in East Berlin, you know, which was on the, you know, behind the, the Berlin Wall, to build this massive music radio complex called Funkhaus. Now, keep in mind that uh, Joseph Stalin, uh, Stalin, I mean, <laughs> he was still in power in 1951. He, I believe he passed away in 1953. And, and I have no, I have no uh, uh, documentation to back this up, but I would imagine he must have signed off on it. There, there must have been some connection right to the top for Stalin or certainly the, uh, you know, the, the Soviet uh, upper-ups to sign off on the construction of this insane music complex in Berlin, which began again in 1951. In 1951, Ehrlich starts building this place, and I believe it was a plywood factory prior to that. To even get to Funkhaus, it's right, you know, in today's, on today's trains, it's about 25 minutes southeast of central Berlin on the trains. So it's not in, like, central Berlin, and it is a huge complex. So Ehrlich and, and his team were commissioned with building this, this massive recording radio. A lot of times uh, when, you read, when you read about Funkhaus, it's referred to as, like, a broadcast facility. But recording was, was a big part of it. So they started this undertaking, and then in 19... 56, and I'm not going to drop a bunch of dates on you. There's not going to be a quiz or anything, but I just think the, the, the history is kind of interesting. The Funkhaus is what's known as in four blocks and it's, it's enormous. When, when you arrive at Funkhaus, it's, it's like, it's like you've arrived in a, not really a city, but a, a just this huge compound and I seem to remember it's kind of an industrial part of town. I mean, it's not very glamorous out there at all, but it is right on the river. And in its own way, it's very industrial and German and beautiful. But, 
but very Soviet, um, which I dig. I, I just think is fun. So, in 1956, Ehrlich starts Block 2. And when you go to Funkhaus, Block 2 is really, that's the big show. That's the centerpiece. Again, I have no document documentation to back this up other than, you know, a modest amount of research and then just being there. Um, I've been to Funkhaus twice, and, and both times it's been amazing. My sense is that Block 1 pleased the Soviets and things were going really well, and they went ahead and, you know, released some, you know, some hefty funding for Block 2 because that's where Ehrlich pulled out all the stops. So in Block 2, that's where the four big studios are. And and by now, you really should have Googled uh, Funkhaus Berlin and, you know, at some point you, you owe it to yourself to do it and your screen is going to pop up and you're going to see Studio One. Forgive me because I don't speak German, but I believe it's called Saal One. S-A-A-L. Saal One is mind-blowing just in its scale. When, when you, well, let me hold off on Saal One just for a moment and uh, we're, we're going to, we're just going to talk a little bit more about some of the history and then what it feels like to walk onto the, the Funkhaus property. The whole point of Funkhaus, from my understanding, as well as, you know, talking to people that are certainly more intelligent than I am, is that the Soviets wanted 24 hours of radio, primarily radio entertainment, for the whole Eastern Bloc. I mean, it wasn't just for Berlin. This was being pumped up all through Russia, through the Soviet uh, states, if that's the right word. And and let's be honest, they're competing with the West. So now they've walled off this city and this country between the East and West, and they need to <laughs> they need to keep the east side entertained and keep them from seeing and hearing the west. So they built this massive broadcast facility called Funkhouse. And when I say facility, it really is referred to as a city. When you go there, I think some of the buildings have have come down, but the a lot of them are still standing, um, especially block 2. But in its prime, and, and now I am actually going to read a few things, uh, from 19, 1956 is when the place really started to take off. So 1956 to 1990 was the, the golden era of, uh, of Funkhaus. And in that time, this was a self-contained city. It was not just a recording studio. It was a place where people lived and worked and slept and married, and, uh, and it was their life. So in its prime, there were 3,500 people that worked at Funkhouse. When I was at Westlake Studios in L.A. in the late 80s, early 90s, yeah, there might have been, <laughs> I don't know, maybe 30, and, and we would go home at night, and uh, this was 3,500 people that worked there. Now, I don't know if, and then they were married and had kids, so I, I think I've read that, you know, 
maybe there were five to 6,000 people that may have lived on the complex during those, those prime years. So within the Funkhaus facility, there were supermarkets and at least one hospital and banks and hair salons and restaurants and bookstores and even a kindergarten. And I don't know in German if kindergarten means just for one year or if it means, you know, the entire elementary years. I'm not sure. But it was a self-contained city or, you know, a small town rather, whose whole purpose was to broadcast music and, let's be honest, propaganda 24 hours a day from East Berlin out to the entire Soviet bloc. I love stuff like that. I, I, I'm completely fascinated by it. Now let's, let's kind of dig a little bit deeper into the facility itself. When you first go into the big building in block two, and again, you can YouTube videos. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, there's tons of information about Funkhaus. So you're not going to hurt my feelings if you uh, pull away and go, you know, in fact, I almost encourage you to look at some of the photos and uh, some of the videos because it's, it's almost beyond description. But when you walk into that kind of that lower uh, foyer, the tile work in the floor and the columns and the colors, everything about it, it's almost like a place you've never been before. It's, it's almost uh, Orwellian in some ways, the, the way the, the hard edges on the floor, uh, in other words, the, the tile work. And it all leads to this grand stairway at the end. And it's just enormous. It, it's not, this is not a normal recording studio. It's, it's something that is almost from another world. I've been on a couple different tours at Funkhouse. One of them was, was kind of a public tour and another one, they, they really took me behind the scenes. <laughs> we were climbing up these old stairways but I mean, the inlaid wo woods, they told me that the woods, the lumber actually came from some of the, the, the forests outside of Moscow. These gorgeous hardwood walls that are, the, the craftsmanship is just unbelievable. You walk towards that, that giant stairway and it, you can feel history. I, I don't know how to explain it and I'm not a weird mystical person. But you, you can feel it. You can feel so much music and important people and probably scary people that have gone up and down that, that walkway heading to the studios. You know, I almost, almost picture a band or an orchestra or something where things didn't go well and somebody from the government <laughs> or, you know, marching quickly down that stair, down that, that walkway to go have a, a conversation. I don't know. You can feel all that stuff when you're in there. So you go up those stairs and you go hallway after hallway and everything about it is grand. This is the Soviet state showing off. They are not holding back and they want to show the world that uh, they can compete with the best of them. Fun uh, side note, 1956 is I believe that's when construction began on block two. I, I honestly don't know how long it took to build. 
Um, it had to have taken. I don't know. And I, I did some quick research and I couldn't find the exact number, but but had to have been a few years. 1956 was also the year that Capitol Records broke ground in Hollywood, which I think is a really cool, not so much a coincidence where the Soviets are puffing up their chests and saying, we are going to build the greatest recording complex on planet Earth. And meanwhile, in Hollywood, Capitol Records is saying, we're going to build an amazing recording complex. And I just think it's a really cool uh, uh, dichotomy. Is that the right word? Anyway, so you're in block two, which again, construction began in 1956. And this is where the two, the big boy studios are, Studio One and Studio Two. Um, if you've Googled it by now, you, you're probably looking at Studio One, or as it's spelled in German, S-A-A-L-1, Saal One, I believe it is. Saal One is like nothing you've ever seen. I, I have been in some spectacular studios, and this is just... It's hard for your brain to wrap, to encompass what you're seeing because it's, it's a studio, but it's also a symphony hall. It's the woodwork and the acoustics and the unparalleled walls and the unparalleled ceiling, everything about it. You just, you just have to take time and let your brain take it all in. When you go into studio one on one side is this kind of orchestra pit. I mean, that, that's the bulk of the room is this, this, this pit, um, which I think is uh, th uh, three, three or four feet lower than the main floor. The math and the science that went into that pit, the whole concept of it is that the orchestra can be playing and because their head is above the pit, they can hear each other and they can hear their own instrument, but the instruments are down in the pit and there's sound dampening and the acoustics are just insane. And you can, in fact, in, in, in studio, uh, well, not just studios, but people that, that work with, with acoustics and with, with audio, we're, we're used to something called RT or reverb time. And if you stand in a gymnasium and if you just, you know, give one hard hand clap, a gymnasium might have a reverb time of maybe four or five seconds. And it's very kind of brittle and metallic and it doesn't sound warm. It just sounds like a gymnasium. When you stand in Funkhouse Studio One, Sal One, and clap, it has a reverb time of exactly 2.4 seconds and that's completely by design. And that is how it was uh, engineered. And again, I do not try and come across as some acoustical uh, scientist or madman, but in recorded music, that's a really comfortable amount of reverb time for, for your ear uh, to hear the music and to hear the music just gently decay over the course of 2.4 seconds is, to a lot of people, the, the perfect amount of reverb time, RT. Not by, I won't even use the word coincidence because nothing at Funkhouse is by coincidence. But the studio next door, which is called Studio 2 or Sal 2, 
is, of course, exactly half the size of Studio One. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned, Studio One is 900 square meters, uh, which to us uh, Americans is approximately 10,000 square feet. So if you live in a 2,500 square foot house, that one room is equivalent to four houses. It's just a massive space. Studio two is exactly half that size. I believe it's 450 square meters. And the reverb time, as only an, a good East German engineer can do, is exactly 1.2 seconds, half the reverb time of, of uh, Studio One, Sol One. I love this kind of stuff. I, I get excited about stuff like this. Putting all the numbers aside, well, let's, let's, uh, let's just go over a couple more things here. Studio, both studios are built in such a way, and to me this is really interesting in Germany, that if an airplane flies over, even at a low altitude, you cannot hear it. It, 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 you cannot hear it. I've worked in a lot of studios where, you know, if a plane flies over, um, you got to kind of pause for a second. At Funkhouse, uh, it is truly soundproof. Going off script for a little bit, my first time in Funkhouse was October 21st of 2016. I was working with a, with a school out there, and then we had a, an MJ event. One of the, the engineers... Uh, or teachers or somebody at Funkhouse gave me kind of a private tour and really took me behind the scenes. I mean, took me up into the rafters and showed me springs and cables. And it's unbelievable. Virtually everything in the ceiling of those rooms, it's you can change the decay time. You can actually change the panels. You can roll them and do different things. So depending on what the uh, the director or the producer is trying to accomplish, uh, the room actually has built-in flexibility where they can put a crew up there and change, you know, change the the direction of of the ceiling tiles and change the sound of the room. The room is floating this massive 900 square meter room is actually floating. It's, it's suspended on springs and, and cables. And I, I wasn't able to do this, but the person that gave me the tour said, sometimes they, it's going to sound weird. They would actually go in there late at night. And they said there, there have been a lot of people that have done this and shut off all the lights and lay in the middle of the room, just lay right on the floor, down in the orchestra pit. And you can hear the room breathe. You can actually hear the cables and the springs just kind of groan and uh, and just, for lack of a better word, breathe. And I, I, I still wanted to do that, and I just wasn't, I wasn't afforded the opportunity, but, but that's on my list. I'm, I'm going to book an hour at some, at some point and go back to Funkhouse and just lay on the floor and just listen to it. You just walk around, uh, especially Studio One and Studio Two, and forgive my, my poor German, but Sal One and Sal Two. And uh, you look at the woodwork and the intricacy of nothing is done by accident. And apparently I'm even told that they would make changes. I, I think 
Studio Two in particular, I think they built it three times. And they, they would build it and, and they would listen to it and bring musicians in and there was something they didn't they didn't like and they would make they would I don't know if they tore it back down to the concrete and started again, but but apparently it went through two or three significant rebuilds. And I, I think I'm talking mainly about Studio Two more than Studio One before it was complete. Aside from that, there's well, the facility's been rented out by by numerous artists, Sting and Depeche Mode and different people. And sometimes now it's used more for live events. They'll do like uh, you know uh, recorded concerts, you know, with very small audiences and things like that. The interesting thing is between Studio One and Studio Two, there's this raised control room. It's it's kind of funny. It's kind of a shared control room, which never really made sense to me, but it's got glass on both sides. And right now, there's no equipment in it at all. The Apparently, there was a fire several years ago, and it, it completely burned out the control room. But thankfully, they got it under control before it uh, damaged the actual studios. Oh, and there's one other thing I forgot to mention about Studio One, which is the pipe organ. There... There is just a massive pipe organ built right into the walls, and apparently it's been non-functional for many, many years. From what I've told, it was never an amazing pipe organ, but visually it's just jaw-dropping. And they're saying that at some point they might try and get it going again. But back to the control room. The control room is, is totally gone. There really is no... It's just a kind of a hallway up there now that they they brought me up to to at least be able to see. But the room, both rooms are still used for uh, recording. And, and of course, in, you know, in in modern uh, recording technology, if you will, I mean, you can bring, bring a pretty significant Pro Tools rig in, you know, console, whatever you need to do, you know, in a a truck, I mean, in a minivan, basically, and uh, build a, a decent little recording studio. The good news is, especially once we get past COVID, Funkhouse, it, it is part of a school. Um, I believe DB Sound has been out there for a while. Forgive me if I got that name wrong. But uh, they're a school that's been operating Funkhouse, um, or they've had a, a partnership, kind of a some sort of a, they're able to use the facility. I do think it's privately owned at this point. And it's used for special events and parties and corporate events and things like that. But the good news is, or more good news, once we get past COVID, you can go there and, and go on a tour. It's it's pretty it's pretty reasonably priced. Take a bus out there and uh, and spend a couple hours walking through Funk House. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's it's kind of one of my favorite. Well, it is. It's my favorite studio on the planet just because words and pictures alone cannot describe the look and the feel of, of when you walk into that, uh, especially studio one, it's almost mind numbing. And, uh, and I get a little, uh, it's like I said, when I was at Abbey road, there, there's just a really cool sense that you get when you're in a very special place like that. And that's how funk house is. It's, it's a place like, like no other, with uh, just rich Soviet history, 
and, and just a place that uh, was used for, for propaganda, for keeping the East isolated from the West. And, you know, and thankfully, you know, when, uh, when Gorbachev finally tore down that wall, it all came to an end. And, and I think the, the glory years for Funkhouse came to an end in 1990. And thankfully, uh, the building was preserved. It's, you know, it, it, it has seen better days. It would be inimaginable to think that somebody could build something like that in today's economy. It, it, it's, it's something that just stands on its own um, as a, I think it's, it's been referred to as, the, you know, the, the, the grand arc of, uh, of recorded audio or something like that. It's been referred to as an audio arc, which, which I think is, is a, great, a great description. So I just wanted to introduce you to, uh, to my favorite studio. I would highly encourage you to do your own research on it. And if you ever get a chance, uh, by all means, book a ticket book a, a bus ride, whatever you, a train ride, whatever you have to do, get out to Funkhouse and uh, experience it for yourself. And uh, I have every hope and intention that once we start doing live events again, Funkhouse will absolutely be on our itinerary. Have a great day. Thank you so much for hanging with me. I love doing these and I look forward to being back with you again soon in the studio. Take care. In the Studio, the podcast is produced by Maddie Sundberg. Graphics and creative input by Andy Healy. Special thanks to Golden Age Project and Tributaries Cables. My name is Brad Sundberg, host of In the Studio, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.